This is uh, our the kilt and the cloth in our Bible study on Tuesday mornings as we continue in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 27 verses 57 and on. We are continuing the conversation of Matthew's perspective of Jesus' death and ultimate resurrection. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, so we talked about his death last week. Like Matthew just does a, a lot of a different story than what we have remembered. You know, it's most of what we have in the uh, our understanding of the Bible is a homogenized story of Jesus. Um, and the only reason that I like doing Bible study this way is to say, yes, that, that whole story happened that way, the one that we have in our minds. But ultimately, we want to hear it from the, each of the different perspectives of what the important pieces are. So you'll notice that in the story of the death of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, um, it was it was there were um, signs, uh, there were things that took place. Um, there there was a there was an earthquake. There was uh, a moment where he cries out to God, um, and kind of. Uh, an interesting take on that story. And then, and then he just simply dies. Like there's not a, there's not a, a exacerbated story of his, uh, uh, his abuse that, that we get in like Luke and John's gospels. Uh, and Pilate himself never orders him to be killed. The soldiers take him off and the soldiers end up doing it. Uh, there's not the story where he's walking up the Via Della Rosa and he stumbles. That's that's not in Matthew's gospel at all. So I'm only pointing this out because the crucifixion for, for Matthew, uh, it had to happen for Matthew so that Jesus could become the new king, the new emperor. Um, and, and his death wasn't the focus, the, the, the how he died, right? Uh the how he died was less important to Matthew as um, why he had to die. Um, so, uh, so there's an interesting thing that takes place, uh, which I've always found fascinating, because then Matthew goes into the, a lot of detail leading up to the resurrection, um, and even even more detail, I think, a different stake on what happens after the resurrection. So, um, questions, comments before we begin reading? I thought about, you talked about uh, raising the dead in the sermon on Sunday, mm -hmm. and you, you talked with your dad about the different uh, raising from dead uh, in the Bible, and I thought about this one that we read last week, that uh, when he died, that uh, oh, yeah. some of the people who were in the cemetery came back to life. And he, that is, I think it says a lot of zombies. A lot of zombies. <laughs> a lot of zombies. And, and it's weird, too, because it's... Uh, yeah, there it is. Many bodies of the saints who have fallen asleep or raised when he had the tombs. Yeah. Well, what verse was that in? Uh, 52, oh, 53. Okay. So, other than the miracle that happened, they don't follow up anywhere. Mm -hmm. but no. What these people did in their saints. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and they, I mean... Saints is a my brain just screams Catholic when I hear saints. I know, but but it's not intended to be that. I mean, yeah, I, I, that's why I'm asking. You know, that when it was rewritten, I guess my question is, what would it have said in Greek and or Hebrew, whatever? Uh, let's see. Yeah. Does it say their their bodies? Because I I think of. You know, the Old Testament with the them dry bones and that kind of thing. And, um, I mean, all is so much off. So, yeah, it, it's, just, it's vague. It's so, it, it just. <laughs> I just, I, my scientific brain says they're going to be decomposed completely and there's no body to come back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. for, okay, so the part that's hard for us here is, is that we're definitely going to look at it in a literal sense. He is making a, a commentary on the book of Daniel. 
there's a conversation in Daniel when the dead will be raised, that this will be a moment that takes place. So remember, Matthew is a, a brilliant Hebrew scholar. So he is thinking of it, I'm not going to say metaphorically, but that when Jesus died, the world was shook. Even those that had died before us were uh, uh, upset or, or uh, uh, awakened, affected. And so, so even the dead are affected by Jesus's death. But you're right. Like it's, as Sally pointed out, it's, it's literal bodies and it's literal uh, people of high esteem that were raised, holy ones, holy ones that were lifted up from the grave and it as many right? yeah just as many I don't think it about chasing rabbits yeah a lot you know so elsewhere this is going to happen uh -huh. in, in the end times which was written before this so how would the people not think that I mean me it would confirm that Jesus is is the son of God but they would have, I mean, and I would go back to Paul, they would have to think this is immediate. Mm -hmm. I mean, here, here's the mm -hmm. here's one of the signs, you know. So yeah. it's gonna happen now. Yeah, this this is a this is this is not a rabbit trail, uh, Robert. This is this is a, a big theological discussion. And we didn't get to talk about it last week, so I'm really glad you're bringing it up. I what? think they did think it was gonna happen. They did. It was gonna happen <laughs> any second. Um <clears throat> Lloyd Douglas wrote books in this in the 30s or 40s, and they're all old books. The Big Fisherman was one of them, and uh, it's a it's a novel, but it's uh, at every intersection that, that that Peter stopped at, he looked both ways to see if Jesus was walking down the road, mm -hmm. and he he was so convinced that his coming would be that quickly. Mm -hmm. And I it, I get to say it's a novel, but it still makes you think about it. I like that idea. I think, and I, I think it's important that if you if you look at any of the letters from Paul, if you look at the Revelation of John, that's how they would write. I mean, like that's that's the immediacy for them, and the Gospel of Matthew writer would have known of that immediacy, and so there is a little bit of a here's some connection pieces to this story. Uh, whereas in the book of Revelation has, um, I mean, just numerous uh, connections to Ezekiel and Daniel. I mean, just just numerous. And one of them is them coming up from the grave. So <clears throat> for Matthew's moment, this is supposed to be comforting that even the dead were affected in Jesus's death. Um, for the for the listeners, for us today, it's it's uh, frustrating because we want to connect it to the Revelation story, where they didn't have that ability at that time. Is Revelation? <clears throat> it's probably not either or, but both. Are they after Rome in Revelation? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, the the end of the world, not the end of the world in Rome. Yeah, yeah, Rome, Rome, Rome will fall, and this is how it's going to happen. And the six-headed beast and all these other things named Nero, you know, they, 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 they watched these horrific things take place, and I'm not, well, no, I'm I'm speaking academically here. There's the faith-based understanding of the book of Revelation, and then there's the, the prag pragmatic, academic view of Revelation in the sense of, if I look at the book of Revelation being written leading up to the time of the temple being destroyed, or even after that moment, it would make sense. Because there's not really any book of prophecy in the Hebrew Bible or anything else that does what we have intended the book of Re Revelation to do. Like, here's what it's going to look like when we all die. And here's what it's all going to look like when we get brought back from the dead. And here's what it's going to look like when the second coming happens. The Hebrew Bible does not write that way. And, and most of the New Testament doesn't either. 
So to say that all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's a prophecy being written that says this is exactly how it's going to happen and this is the year is dangerous. And on the flip side, there are lots of prophecies made in the Hebrew Bible of things to come and things that could happen, but it was never designed to say uh, this is exactly what's going to happen. So it's a struggle. It's a struggle because we in the 20th and the 21st century, well, actually, really, from the 17th century on, we homogenized the entire New Testament and said, here's the end result. It wasn't until the, the 19th century that she started having people like Nelson and Darby and <clears throat> all the rest of them were saying, oh, and there's a rapture, and then there's this tribulation, and there's this pre-trib, and there's this post-trib, and then there's cessation. And, and you're like, well, wait a minute, where, where are you guys getting that? The word rapture is not even used in the the New Testament. Um, and, and this all has to do with the dead bodies coming up from Jesus' death. See? So the, they said, well, look, it says here right there. Well, but you're, you're taking the whole, that one little passage out of all of it and saying, well, this is, this is what's going to happen. For Matthew, here, Jesus' death is affecting the entire uh Living and the dead. The living and the dead. And 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 the only person that could do that would have the power of God. And that's how effective his death is. And that's what Matthew is focusing in on. Notice that it's not the story's not about how, really, right? It's about the why. Mm -hmm. Why did the dead have to come back from the dead? Well, because that's what you do when you kill the Son of God. Or because of the bad workmanship well, right here you go that's right boom explain this exactly and then from here on out for the rest of the gospel of matthew you're going to see this this continuous connection to here's why jesus is not like us now this is different folks <laughs> john makes jesus fully human and fully divine matthew is saying uh-uh He's fully divine at the, at the moment of his death. He is fully the son of God. And that, from that point on, the rest of us, pieces of us that keep falling apart, that's the humanity side. Now, Luke has a whole different perspective of this completely. So, um, and it's it's more, oh, what's the word I'm um, Story-like. It, it, it's, I don't want to say fairy tale, but it has it has a different way of telling the story. Yeah. It probably just the wording of like a more ordered account or something. Yeah, it's more like an ordered account. Yeah, probably we're probably going to get into this, but if at the time of his death he's completely divine, yeah, what's why the three days? Well, when we get to that, uh. There's stuff that has to be done. And part of it is, is you've got to, you remember the prophecy thing? Jesus said it. The temple will be torn down and rebuilt back up in three days. So he said those words. So the gospel writers have to connect that. I mean, and, and there's a there's a lot of theological conversations as to why three and then, but uh, Matthew writer is, really connecting the three days because Jesus already said it. Um, that's and Jesus says And Jesus doesn't lie. Okay. I mean, I just... No, it's a good it, question. It's, it's the whole human divine thing, which will never be. I'll never understand. But it's hard. I mean, or at time. I mean... Yeah. Now, how does that work? Well, it, none of the Gospels can agree upon that, so... If it makes you feel better, uh, you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Lazarus was dead for four days, right? Yeah, Lazarus was dead for four days. He was stinking. And, and, and he even, they even said he was stinking. So, uh, also, only found in the Gospel of John like that. Like that, John has this weird, I mean, it's this massive sermon for 10 chapters. Yeah, for 20 chapters. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's begin. 
just a side note at verse 57 uh joseph of arimathea is only mentioned in the gospel of matthew as the one that gives him the tomb um so just thought to that out there when it was evening uh there was a rich man from arimathea named joseph who was also a disciple of jesus he went to pilate and asked for the body of jesus then pilate ordered it to be given to him so Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own tomb, which he had honed in the rock. And then he then rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember what that imposter said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise again. Therefore, command the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may go and steal him away and tell the people he had been raised from the dead, and then the last deception would be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went with the guard and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone. Um, I just, I just love that. The word for guard is custodian, by the way. Nice. That's an interesting translation. That he was furnishing the guard, or did he was telling that you have a guard? You have a guard. You have a guard. Sam Edward had their own temple guard. Come to me. Remember, in Matthew, he is dismissed Pilate. Yeah. Like, Pilate is not the bad guy here. And he doesn't make the Jews the bad guy. It's the crowd. I mean, he really wanted to stay out of the whole bit. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I've washed my hands of this. I'm done. Uh, but his soldiers go and they crucify him, and and the Sanhedrin didn't do anything either. That's important to notice. They wanted to pass the buck on to somebody else, and even at the end of his death, no, none of them killed him except for the soldiers. So, and just nobody. I mean, Matthew really struggles with saying why, but the other gospels, well, they tell you, <laughs> is Joseph a priest? We don't know. He catches the body. He's rich. He's just rich. He, uh, I I love how they tell that story. There's he just is this random person that Matthew puts in. Some rich guy. So he tradition mm -hmm. shows him as being part of the of the Sanhedrin, but I don't know where that came from. Yeah, I'm just the only reason I ask you back to the body. You know, right? Who can touch the body? Who can bury him? It's got to be somebody of a well, and, and yeah, if he was a Jew, he wasn't supposed to touch the body, so he shouldn't have been with Sanhedrin. And and the interesting thing is, is if he's from Arimathea, that's not where the Levites were. But the, again, the tradition puts him in that position, you know. So it's and and we get it from our own stories. He's a non-practicing Jew. He can be a non-practicing Jew. He can be important. He's, he's a rich man. You know, it says that he took the body and he wrapped it, but a rich man probably had somebody do it. Yeah, you're 100% right. So I, I don't, I don't want to be pessimistic, but I, I do, I do want us to notice that this, notice that the great deal and care in the way that he's telling the story. Somebody else provided the tomb. Like I told my Sunday school class on Sunday, this the tomb was a, an abnormal burial. Most of the time it was a, a really a big mass grave there when you're in Jerusalem. There are these uh, sarcophagi all over the place uh, on this, for lack of a better phrase, the Valley of Death. The families would put you there under the ground. But it's a humongous cemetery. I mean, it's it's humongous. And it's still there. Like, I mean, it's still there. Um, and so for him to have a tomb is is rather weird because yeah. they don't bury you. The, the tomb is up above the ground. And in the Jewish culture, you're ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? Like that's where that phrase comes from. Um, so this idea of him being buried in a tomb, uh, elevated, Matthew is wanting you to hear that even the outsiders recognize that Jesus is something of importance. So in some aspect, I think I can make this statement safely. I can hear uh, my professor saying that this is a good statement, that he is elevated 
even in that way that he's buried like nobility or somebody of high esteem um, or rich. Or rich. Um, and so even in his burial practice, he's been treated differently than just those of his lineage. I saw something the other day where they laid him out out in the open mm -hmm. on just a big slab and they went back a year later and got the bones put on and that's what they put them in an ossuary yeah, yeah. i just just looked it up and a, a body a, a body starts decomposing immediately left uh unburied or in the open um will skeleton size in a year um buried underground may take up to 10 years to skeleton size mm -hmm. um of course, this is all about embalming. Embalming is all different. Right. Which they definitely did not do. Like the slab even had, they had places cut out for their heads. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they laid them out, their heads were just laid in there. They were really not in a row. Anyway. In archaeology, they found these, like I call them bone boxes or whatever, where they would, after a year, yeah. put just yeah. the bones in, and that's what they would yeah. preserve or, or yeah, box of that. Yeah, you there is something really kind of neat about uh, I'm trying to think that mausoleums mm -hmm. go go way back, you know, and, and that's where you start to see these columbariums where people do that too as well. So um, with and I, so I, I I point out that there's this interesting thing that takes place. Pilate again washes his hands of it. The Sanhedrin are trying to pass the the buck on the him, and then he says, but you have your own guard. Go guard the tomb if that's what you're so worried about. Notice that, remember I always tell you that the Roman government does not care about what the Sanhedrin says. Here's your proof. Rome doesn't care. You guys are not affecting my life. Go do your own thing. Why are you bothering me? This is your proof. And so, after the Sabbath, I'm sorry, I'm starting at 28. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and then other Mary went to see the tomb, and suddenly, this is Matthew, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. Was it? Uh, the snow? The angel. The angel. That would be in uh, verse two. Yeah. Angelos. Oh, good. Okay. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. As he said, Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly for, with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took a hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see you. They touched his feet. I thought when he met with his disciples later on, that he said they couldn't touch him. Another gospel. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I do the exact same thing. Yeah. You're modernizing. That's what we did. We, we put all the different accounts yeah. together. We try to fit them together. So, uh, weird story of the angel right like that's uh it's a different conversation altogether and then the other story mary he appears and mary doesn't recognize him exactly yeah um when matthew says when the translation says immediately and suddenly the word in both times in greek is behold behold that is amazing both times so i had a professor Tell me one time that they translated it this way. What did he say? 
They wanted it to be suddenly. They they wanted it to be suddenly and and, and, and immediately. And immediately. The why would they not say behold? It's gotta be a reason. <laughs> you think? Yeah, I'm 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 trying to remember that. I'll have to go back and look that up. Okay. But there was a he he was adamant about it. He was just adamant about it. And and uh not Dr. Carter, Dr. Uh, Lowry was always adamant that we say immediately or suddenly at that place. What is the actual Greek word? Like I'm sorry. You do. You do. You do. I know Matthew uses that. Immediately, this happened. Yeah, and that's evidently that's not here than that. Okay. Yeah. Um. And, and there is a quickly when the angel tells them to go tell the other disciples that that's quickly. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that's quickly. Um, this is uh, another part. I was looking at my uh, thing because there was something specifically Dr. Carter pointed out in this moment. I'm trying to remember it. Uh. Well, I think verses 8 through 10 are the part that's important here. Um, that the, 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 the worship belongs to, to Jesus, not to, to the emperor. Like right here, instantaneously, uh, go and tell. The emperor does this a lot in real life. Like I'm, I'm making a historical statement here, not a theological one. Remember that the part of the reason that the emperor was so successful is his propaganda, right? Like he he had the ability to make posters, uh, he had the ability to make uh, carvings, and those stone things, steels. That's right. He, he he could put those everywhere else. Um, and so, what was the most powerful uh, propaganda of them all? Well, word of mouth. If you can scare enough people to believe in you because you kill people, you know, publicly. Uh, people will talk. So when Jesus is resurrected and the angels there and Jesus's first word is now go and tell everyone you see in Galilee, basically. Um, that is awesome. And that they will see Jesus through them. Did you all catch that rather interesting dialogue there? It says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Well, that's kind of a double meaning there. They will see me? Yeah. Hmm. Is that what yours says? No, uh, this is ESV. It says you will see him. Ah. See, I have told you. What does yours say? They will see me. I didn't look that up in the lexicon. Are you going to get the same verse? Because the angels. Yeah, what verse? You know? I'm at verse 10. Oh, I was on 7. Yeah. Oh, one of the angels talking to them. Okay. It's the him. I'm with Jesus you. Talking about him. Okay. I'm behind the times. Sorry. Well, that's okay. Now, I, I just, I think that's kind of awesome. But so there's like, there's kind of a double meaning there. Um, and and it's just kind of a, an interesting side note there, just pointing out. I'm going to keep on going because mm -hmm. uh, we are going to finish this today. So while they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests everything that happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, You must say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just and one of the things that um, Dr. Carter loves Star Wars uh, <laughs> connections. So he literally puts on the very first sentence, the Empire Strikes Back <laughs> uh, at this part. So and I forgot about that until I was reading this. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story is still told among the Jews to this day. Seems like a bit easier to go on. Uh -huh. Right. Well, I'm they just sorry, says, but yeah. Uh, but, but the Jews weren't allowed to kill people, right? 
only the Romans could kill people. That's why they took him to the right. To the, right, can't the execute them. You can stone them almost yeah. all the way up to death, but you can't <laughs> kill them if they just happen to die because you stoned them. Well, you're just following your laws. You know, okay. I mean, it's. I'm not trying I to be so facetious, yeah. but it's okay. it's it's really just that kind of primitive way of thinking of it. You know? the revolutionary, so the ones who stole his body to kill him. I'm definitely going to talk about that here in just a second. Sorry. Nope, you're good. I'm glad you brought it up. Just don't forget that part. Uh, I'm going to do the commissioning of the disciples. Now, this is important because Matthew is the only one that says this. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Notice that changes. But some doubted, obviously. And Jesus came and said to them, the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, I am with you. Behold, I am with you. Yeah, I mean, it makes more sense. And uh, that's funny. And it doesn't that's say funny. they worshipped him in verse 17. It just says they worshipped. They just worshipped. Interesting. Well, they just said, and having seen him, they worshipped. Oh, okay. They already had a hymn, so they had the pronoun. So, um, I, I got to read this because it's kind of cool. Uh, I'll do this first. Disciples historically do not live for themselves. Jesus commissions this group of disciples uh, to form a worldwide mission community of Jewish and Gentile disciples that lives out Jesus' teaching. To do so is to be an alternative community with commitments and practices that are anti-ethical or antithetical, antithetical, antithetical. I always do that wrong. To Rome's values and practices. Various scenes exist in Roman's literature, however, such as Virgil's Aenid, and in which gods commission Rome to worldwide domination and military superiority. Matthew's community is given a similar goal, not by Jupiter and the gods, but by Jesus. And it means that and its means are very different. Instead of military power, it employs compassionate power, healing, mercy, and an inclusive community and life-giving words to proclaim and enact God's empire. The community of disciples carries out this task in a world marked by imperial lies and hostility. But Jesus' presence strengthens and guides it to the end of the age. So, I point this all out to you because the, the Great Commission and revolutionaries. Um, but let's do the happy version first. Or do you want to do the bad version first? I'll let you all decide which one you want to do, good or bad. Doesn't matter. <laughs> You're gonna get a boat. Yeah. Bad, bad, then the good. Yeah, bad, then the good. Bad news first. So historically, the interesting the thing that takes place from this is it becomes like its own creed. Um, and uh, I give you all authority over heaven and earth. This is what leads us even to the point of the Crusades. Um, literally, that this is the Great Commission. The Great Commission was used. And the name of Christianity to go to other places, and if they did not want to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they were taken care of. Destroy them. Where is that in there? It's not in there. <laughs> but uh, Spanish Inquisition. They just That's right. Uh, That's right. Uh, they, they, they. I mean, I really wish I was making this up, but this, this one passage of Scripture has used has been used in a revolutionary context. In a sense of, well, we're going to go and we're going to do these things in the name of God. Why? Because the Gospel of Matthew says so. These are literally Jesus' words, as they would say. 
I've heard it used in the other ways as, as well, in the sense of that we go to do these things in the name of God through Jesus Christ, uh, because God has given us all authority in heaven and on earth to be able to do this stuff. So we can go and, and conquer uh, whole communities and commit genocide, you know. Um, so how do they get past that he tells them to um, do his teachings? I mean, well, heathens, I, I understand because I've, I've had a question on my mind for a long time as to whether Rome wins or the church wins. Good because question. to me, it simply morphs. Is what Rome has. Rome has the church. Mm -hmm. Christianity might have been wiped out if it hadn't been for in mm -hmm. Rome adopting it. Mm -hmm. And then Rome dies, but doesn't because you know, way up into the times we're talking about when, when you know, where we the church uh, He's the second, whichever one he was, of Spain, and just annihilating the Americas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all in the name of God. And uh, anyway, so I think we're, we we've all passed that, but I struggle to see any difference between Rome and the church. For several hundred years, mm -hmm. other than the name of the of the country that's doing it. Yes, if you want to call it Roman country, I know what well, an empire. The the other thing that's different here, and I would I would add to this conversation in the sense of this is that we started teaching it different. You know, you all have access to the entire Gospel of Matthew, and the Gospel of Matthew has. The phrases like it has the Last Supper, it has the, it has the, the 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 Sermon on the Mount. You know, I mean, it has it has all of the, the Beatitudes. Like it's everything that we know about Jesus is in the Gospel of Matthew. But we're only two hundred years away from everybody being able to read. You know, so it took us that long to get to the point where everybody's like, oh, oh, wait a minute, all authority of heaven and earth does not mean go off and kill all the heathens. You know. But we've used this exact same passage also to cause uh, to go in and uh, indoctrinate Christianity into foreign countries in the name of missions. Um, and people have died because nobody wanted to hear Jesus' word preached to them because we supposedly had some sort of authority. I I go with, with the, the side that I'm going to go with for... Uh, with Dr. Carter on this one is, is that the good side of this is, is that this is Jesus's pro proclamation to his disciples that Jesus has authority. And this is his proclamation that he is now in control of the universe. And, and I would argue that, you know, he says to teach them and they obey what I've commanded. Right. We don't do that. No. I mean, that, that, that's where I'm saying, you know, whether Rome won, whether the church won, both of them are not doing Jesus' thing. That's right. I mean, you know, but we we utilize, you know, the Crusades is, is easy to go back and look at. You know, they wanted money, and I think if I'm not confusing they had too many Puzzles. people. And guess what? You can send the ones that are disagreeing with what you're saying down there and get rid of them. Yeah. I mean, this is, it, it's, I'm not saying that we've done this right. I, I just, I, I just definitely want us to notice that that great, that the phrase, the Great Commission, has been used in a bad way for a really, really, really long time. Have we got to the good news version yet? <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about okay. the good news. So, so some of this does create revolutionaries, right? So if I'm to obey uh, the word of God in the name of Jesus Christ, which is the reason I was saying that, this this does give us revolutionaries in the sense of we have to stand up for those that cannot stand up for themselves. 
you start to see this specifically around the first and second century when where you see pockets of Christian sects feeding one another uh, with each other's food. You start to see communities being built in the name of Jesus. Uh, we we call them Gnostics, and we, we, we talk bad about them, but really, we don't know why the scholars talk bad about them, except for uh, they weren't the ones that everybody liked, I guess. I, I don't know, because they were weird. They lived <laughs> just like Jesus wanted to, and they had the truth, right? And that was all it was. Um, and so, so there's these pockets of early, I would call monks and convents that were setting themselves apart because of this exact same scripture. If you start looking at the desert, desert fathers, for example, the, the ascetics that create monks and nuns and things that nature, they, they do this, they use this great commission and they go and they set themselves apart from others and God brings them to them is the way it kind of works. Also, they will go to a community that is not, uh, they go to rural communities and they find themselves trying to be, uh, I wouldn't use the phrase all things to all people, but trying to be all things to all people. And they go to these communities and they stay there and uh, they do everything they possibly can in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because, well, this is what Jesus taught us and to be in obedience of. It's our jobs as Christians to be feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting those that are sick and in prison, um, and then um, making sure that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And this is the most important part, teaching others to do it as well. So uh, at the beginning of Christianity, as, as you very aptly commented on, that Rome kind of uh, adopts Christianity shortly after that, that when Rome itself falls, uh, the church, big C at this point, takes up that mantle and tries to teach that. Now, again, humans are dumb. Like, overall, we're very selfish. You know, we're very narcissistic at some point or another. And it, and it, at some point, an institution is going to mess it up. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, that's just the reality. Well, Rome falls, too. The Visigoths. Uh -huh. They're Christians. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so all of a sudden you start to see the Christians do a whole different thing. Why? Well, because they became an institution, not a movement. This does not say create a movement in my name. Oh, I mean, an institution in my name. And if you were a revolutionary at that time, it probably wouldn't have been what you wanted to see. But they are defeating from here. They're taking all their power away. That's right. They're clothed. They're fed. That's right. They have a community. I mean, where Rome has kept their thumb on them for so long that it said, if you want to live, you do what we tell you. And and now they don't have to. Jesus gives them everything they need. The literal bread of life. You know, the, the, the eternal water. That, that I forget. It's amazing. I, I love the Gospel of Matthew's story all the way even to the uh, commission because you have these moments all the way through that Jesus is talking about uh, how Rome is not only going to fall, the institutions that you know will fall, but I will never abandon you. I will give you water that will last forever. I will give you food that will always give you sustenance. Um, there's something awesome about the way that Matthew does that for Jesus. And then to say at the end, um, by the way, disciples, all of you in this room and on the recording, you, you now have that same power. And he didn't do anything really strange in order to make that happen. Part that he did, that you all have the power to do, maybe metaphorically in some regards, but is this, he did heal people. He did raise people from the dead. He did, he did these things so that we also would continue to try to be better. But that's you can't you can't make that that stuff up. Um, so I love I love Matthew's understanding. From that, I think I think we're going to stop here today because what I really want to do is this, I want to go to the Gospel of Mark's uh, crucifixion story. And we're just going to do it in order, uh, canonical order. 
We'll go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John will take forever. By the end of the summer, we'll have John instead. So, uh, but Mark's, Mark's will be, will be uh, short-lived. And so we'll start Mark uh, next week. Um, and uh, I want to I give you a sense of caution, just because it's, I'm just being funny. Re remember how we've talked about we have a homogenized understanding of Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection story. Mark has a very different take than what you remember. Excuse me. Uh, like for real, it'll have a very different take than what you remember. Um, and I mean, even at the end of the crucifixion, uh, at, at the resurrection, uh, very, very different understanding than Matthew and Luke, and especially John. So uh, when we get into that next week, you'll you'll uh, you'll go oh oh that's what he means, and uh, and and you'll see very fairly quickly. So before I stop recording, is there any other comments or questions or yes, Robert's got one quick one. Y'all need to help me and remember, at least for me, Matthew doesn't stop. Matthew is the start. I mean, you know, where the chapter ends, it doesn't. It doesn't end. He gives you the commission. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that is the yeah. There's no. I mean, and, and here ends the end reading of the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah, no, that's the Great Commission and the idea. Of, since you brought it up, I made this argument one time, and I was shut down very quickly. That I think that Matthew has this very Hebraic way of being written in the sense of none of the books in the Hebrew Bible were supposed to be done. Like, the way the culture worked, let's say Tammy starts writing a book about her faith. So, uh, as she's getting closer to death, she has been teaching Ted this whole time on what she's telling about God. And when she passes on, Ted picks up in that book named uh, Cindy. And even though Tammy is writing her book, it's in your name. And so by the time it's all said and done, Ted is writing the book of Cindy, but being taught the way that Tammy taught him. And then Ted would then teach me the book of Cindy in the way that he was taught, but also the way that he has been writing. And then it would go all the way around. So it never had a, a conclusion. So Matthew, to me, I think is, is written that way. Here's the Great Commission. It's said and done. Now, I, I got shut down because professors, and I agree, I, I hear what they're saying, it, but they're saying, no, no, it's the beginning of the end. Here's the Great Commission. The next chapter is supposed to be written by you. I was just thinking that. Like, yeah. you're the next chapter. Right. Yeah. And I, in my That's mind, I was, like, I was like, well, yeah, but it's Hebrew. And the professor was like, yes, it is. But Josh, you're the next book. So there really should have been, and there was, remember, 66 books written in the first century, and we only had 24, you know. And there should have been a whole bunch of Gospels. But again, your book would have been <laughs> ginormous. Um, and and I, I appreciate what they did when they created our canon. So, uh, so if that answered your question... Yeah, it wasn't supposed to be done there. It was supposed to be, now there's a book of Robert. Now there's a book of Anne. Now there's a book of Sally. I guess what I was trying to say is the others may, I think the others do stop. Oh, yeah, no, there is a definite end. The end, yeah. The except end. for Mark. And, and this one doesn't. I right, think, yeah. 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 That's good. That's a, I bet your professors right. loved arguing with you. <laughs> there were moments. There were moments that my professors uh, liked it. I I think it, this is going to sound pretentious, but I I, uh, I did my homework. Like I didn't want to go to class and just be spoon fed, and they didn't want you to come out being spoon fed. Phillips is different that way, um, in the sense that our professors uh, they want your actual brains. They don't want you to regurgitate information. I I only had the the entire time that I've been there, I've had one professor ever that just wanted me to regurgitate what they said. Mm. And we struggled. Um, and I, 
yeah, uh, that was a hard professor, and they didn't stay there very long because they're all about collaboration. That's that's where you learn more. Well, they learn from you. They learn from their students as much as well. We all learn from our students. Yeah, yeah. I I came back after being off for some for twelve years. Computers happened in those twelve years, right? And I came back and and I this. I'd, I'd be mm-hmm. doing something. The students are almost saying, "Do it this way," and they did. And they were fifth graders. They were they were nine and ten years old. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, they would fix it for me. And uh, when we went to an online textbook, the kids figured out how to use it long before I did. So, uh, yeah, you learn from them. Uh, you know. And I think, in conclusion, I think that's also one of the cool things about the Gospel of Matthew is is that it's written in that same idea, right? So that the students of Jesus now are teaching the people that write the Gospel of Matthew. So everybody always asks me this question, and I and I I think I want to end the recording this way. Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John were written way after Jesus' resurrection. So the idea that they could be there at Jesus' death and resurrection is kind of hard for us to say that. But it's not that hard to say that somebody who was one of the 12 taught somebody else, and that person wrote the Gospel of Matthew. You know, I mean, that's that's the part I want you to take from this, in that, in that maybe Andrew taught somebody that inspired Luke. You know, that this is, this is the part that's cool about it, that Jesus inspires these disciples with this great commission to go and tell the story. They don't have to write it. Somebody else is going to. So it gives us more freedom to think, who was it that taught this person to write this way? Like the Gospel of John. So frustrating because everybody's like, well, it's the same guy. No, 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 no. It's multiple people. And here's how you can see it. And you're like, that messes me up. No, 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 no. I want you to think about it. It was... Somebody taught this person this, and we're getting to hear their Sunday school lesson from this part in the Gospel of John. And then goes, oh, well, that's a little bit more comforting. Still freaks us out a little bit, because that's not how we were taught in Sunday school. Yeah. But to me, I think it makes it even cooler. It's just like what we're doing in Bible study. I'm only passing on what I was taught, what I've learned. Um, and sometimes I think we're right. Sometimes I don't think we're right at all. Because... There is still the faith component that comes from this. I have sometimes I come off as an agnostic, but really at the end of the day, I really believe these things happen. Maybe just not exactly the way it was written. So with that, I'm listening.